The Storms of Life Part 1 of The Storms of Life series A Sandman Potfic Written by Torte and read by Literarian Chapter 8 Summary Hob has made up his mind to try and reach out to his stranger. The only way that seems possible is through dreams. In secret we met, in silence I grieve, that thy heart could forget, thy spirit deceive. If I should meet thee after long years, how should I greet thee? With silence and tears. Lord Byron Hop has made up his mind to try and reach out to his stranger. The only way that seems possible is through dreams. He has had many a dream in which he at some point realized that he was dreaming and could then sometimes change its direction. He knows not how to control it and make himself aware of the fact while dreaming, but he figures that if he focuses hard enough before going to bed, that he might maybe be lucky enough to have such a dream again one night. He has no clue what else he can do. Every evening, Hop thinks of nothing but his stranger and his wish to apologize before going to sleep, yet he dreams of nothing for weeks. He still makes it his new bedtime routine, to concentrate on his wish to dream of his friend before lying down in bed. The villagers have given up on trying to invite him. Hop is a bit sorry for it, but cannot bring himself to care much. Still, so as not to make anyone too suspicious, he tries his best to be charming but apologetic and timid towards his maid and any who call on him, and hopes their stories of poor reclusive Mr. Pollock, who's afraid of his own shadow, will be enough to satisfy the gossips and discourage the matchmakers. When he finally has a dream one night in September, it is of his garden. First, he thinks he's awake, but then he sees that all the roses are blue, and he knows that this is a dream. He is alone, and the sun is setting in the east, tinting everything in a reddish light that reminds Hop of his stranger's ruby. Hop settles back on his bench and lets the roses wind their thorny vines around and around him, binding him to his seat. He waits and does not move, bathed in the red light of the ever-sinking sun until a flock of sparrows outside his window wakes him. The next time he dreams, a week later, he dreams of walking along the sea near his cottage. The waves are crashing at the shore, and Hop stares at the water and the dark shapes beneath its surface. There is a beautiful shell in the sand, silver and golden and pearlescent. He does not pick it up and starts walking. 
He dreams of the sea again the next night, and the shells grow in number, but Hop walks and walks and does not collect any of them. Over the next two months, Hop dreams regularly. Sometimes of the garden, sometimes of the sea. Sometimes of a dark and rainy street, empty around him. Wherever he finds himself, he always patiently waits for something to happen, for his stranger to appear, but the dreams stay empty and quiet. He lets the roses bind him, the sand on the shore envelop him, he lets the rain drench him and stays standing rooted to the spot in front of a closed door, waiting. Dream knows he should maybe check on Hob. He keeps putting it off. He can feel him at the edges of the dreaming, but his presence is muted by Dream's wish to not focus on it. He feels soft and vulnerable, and he hates it. He hates that the glow of his core won't stop and can barely be contained by his clothing. He has willed it away innumerable times, but it always returns when his thoughts stray towards Hob when he is alone. Hob has not dreamed of the Nightmare King again so far. Dream would have felt it if he had. He wonders why that is. Have his words of warning worked? Is Hob afraid he'll rip him apart the next time? Part of Dream is glad he heeded his warning, because he doesn't know what he'll do. Being a nightmare can be irritating and confusing. Hobbes expectations and fears mixing together with the want and hunger of his darker aspect. He can, of course, control himself. He is not a base nightmare, he is the lord of the dreaming. Still, only if Hobbes' need does not override his rational thinking does he truly trust in his control. Hobbes surely thinks him to be a monster of some sort. He even told him he was, and Hobbes enthusiastically did not mind. But Dream does not feel monstrous when he thinks of Hobbes. Quite the opposite. He is unsure how he should present himself should Hop dream of him again. As Hop has met him over the centuries, as a man, or as the king of dreams and nightmares. Dream has never told Hop who he is because he wants to not be a king when he's meeting him. He wants to sit and listen to Hop talk, watch his face go through all human emotions, glut himself on his unbridled joy and want for life that Dream can no longer muster. He does not want to be looked upon with fear or reverence. He realizes with a startling clarity that makes rosy light spill out from under his mantle again, that he only wants his friend, Hob.
What if he can never again see Hop smile at him like when they last met, sitting across a table from each other like two equals? What if all Hop will see from now on is the unruly being he is on the inside, the unfathomable, dangerous entity? Dream buries his face in his hands and curses himself for having ruined things twice over. When the dream of the cellar finally returns, Hop immediately checks his chains. Good, they are there. He imagines them stronger, heavier. His sleeping brain adds a sturdy iron shackle around his throat for good measure that puts him straight against the cold stone wall and chokes him a bit, but he is glad. He won't reach out for something he's not allowed to hold. He needs his friend to know that, if he comes. Hop is alone in the cellar, not even the guards are there. He looks at the shadows and waits, but the stranger does not appear. Like all the other dreams he's had in the last weeks, this one is empty. Hop starts to speak anyway. This is the first dream of the cellar since he last saw his friend. It has to mean something, right? I'd like to talk to you, my friend. He watches the dark corners, but nothing moves. I'm sorry if I overstepped. I won't do that again, I promise. I'll stay right here. I just... <sighs> he sighs wetly, feeling emotional. He misses him so much. I'd love to see you. I don't think I can wait another 98 years to see you again. Please, just let me apologize. There is no answer, and Hop hangs in his chains and feels uncomfortable and lonely until he wakes up. The dream of the cellar becomes a regular one after that and joins the garden, the sea and the empty London street as the backdrop for Hop's attempts at focused dreaming. Hop starts to feel like he has found a way to call on his friend, has found his house, but he is being kept on the doorstep, locked out. Hop just wishes his friend would finally answer the door. There is a raven with a white breast in the sand before him, tilting its head from side to side, eyeing the shiny shells. Will you not collect any of them? It asks him with a woman's voice. Hop shakes his head. He is excited about the bird's presence. It has never been in his dreams before. Hop is getting better and better at recognizing when he's dreaming these days. He often knows as soon as he takes a look around. I dare not. The sea puts them out for you, you know. The raven hops back from the lapping waves and flaps its wings. 
Hop walks on. The raven follows. I dare not take anything that is not freely given. But they are being given. Then he shall appear and hand them to me. I would hear him say that I'm allowed, or else I won't take anything. Somehow Hop knows that they are talking about the same person, that the raven knows who he means. The raven fluffs its feathers, makes a frustrated-sounding noise, and flies off. Hop sits down to wait, toes digging in the dry sand, always out of reach of the water, and lets the sand pull him in. Hop thinks about what the bird said, of the things in his dreams being there for him to interact with. He thinks that maybe his friend would notice him on his doorstep if he knocked, that he could get his attention if he reached out and picked up a shell or plucked a rose. He can't bring himself to do any of it. It feels like the opposite of what he's trying to prove. That he will not take anything. Not without explicit consent of his friend. He keeps standing in the rain in the dark street and watches the lights inside the house flicker and dance like flames. This can't go on, Lucien. They are both being idiots. I know, Jessamine, but what am I supposed to do? I can't make Lord Morpheus speak to his friend if he doesn't want to. You remember the first time I tried to tell him something was wrong? It took months for him to finally look at the damn book. Yes, I remember it vividly. And now he's doing the same thing again, brooding in his room. He's hiding something, I think. He hasn't let me sleep in his cloak since he came back from Hopgadling's dream. He keeps himself surprisingly well-dressed suddenly. Hasn't lounged around in a toga on his stairs in forever. It's high collar and full sleeves all the time. Something is definitely wrong. Lucienne nods. Jessamy flaps around in agitation. And the man, he dreams of nothing. He just does nothing. He won't do anything he's not allowed to, he says. As if a dreamer needs to ask for permission to dream. Insane, the both of them. Lucienne rubs the bridge of her nose again and feels a headache coming on. Please calm down, Jessamy. You're being worse than Mervyn. I will try and speak to Lord Morpheus. Could you please keep an eye on Robert Gatling? I'm worried if everything is all right with him in the waking world. Fine, but never compare me to Mervyn again, you hear? Lucienne smiles. I won't. Thank you, my friend. My lord, have you recently had a look at... Your friends, Dreams? Dream frowns and shifts where he sits on the upper steps to his throne. He can feel the light trying to spill out of his robe at the mere mention of his friend. 
No, Lucien. Not that it should be of any interest to you. But I have decided not to look at Hopgatling's subconscious. His dreams feel very faint because of that. Lucienne shifts on her toes and eyes him over her glasses. It makes him frown deeper in disquiet. That may be not only because you're trying not to feel them, I think. He's holding himself back from dreaming, my lord. Holding himself back? That is not possible. He is dreaming. I can feel that much. Yes, my lord, but he's not engaging, not doing anything. He's just waiting. Waiting? For what? Lucienne smiled sadly at him. He refuses to acknowledge it as pity. For you, my lord. 